0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Swear Jar, the official podcast of the Academy of Business Communications, where we tell it is about corporate and employee communications and occasionally use colorful language to raise money for worthy causes. My name is Andrew Brown.
1: And I'm Elizabeth Williams. And today we are going to delve into something that all senior management, which also means that all communications professionals have to deal with, and that is everyone's favorite, R word, resistance. (laughs) So we're going to talk about what it is, what it isn't, why it happens, and how fearless communicators like us can plan for resistance to change and work through it.
0: Oh, Zach, you know, there isn't a comms professional alive who hasn't been confronted with resistance in some form or another. In fact, I find that comms folks are often called in to prevent or minimize resistance to upcoming transformations. And often they're called in to do a cleanup on aisle nine after big and small projects or expensive and time-consuming digital transformation initiatives have just come right off the rails. Just consider for a moment, see if this rings true to you. If you're ever in a meeting and management uses any of these phrases, be forewarned. Because they are expecting serious resistance and they're expecting you as the communications professional to make life easier. And Elizabeth, does this sound familiar? Change management or change behavior or new process rollout? Oh, God. I can't, I'm actually getting kind
1: of. Hives. Just thinking about it. So, fair digital enough. digital transformations, transformations keep me yeah. up night without even <laughs> knowing the details.
0: So fair enough. Let's let's start with acknowledging something that resistance is not automatically the same thing as defiance. Sure, resistance can be active. Employees can speak and act against the proposed change, whether that's overtly or covertly, or negatively influence others to resist or essentially scuttle, overturn, delay, modify change. But in organizations, resistance far more frequently is passive, you know, where employees remain silent about their views or appear to agree to changes, but then they don't truly act on them. So let's also acknowledge that in addition to that reality that resistance is a very human response to what is happening in organizations. So that being said, let's talk about what organizations in their quest to grow or stay competitive or even just remain viable inadvertently due to amp up employees' severity, duration, and frequency of resistance. So I had a
1: friend who had this thing he referred to as malicious compliance in organizations. (laughs) And I remember I was working with him in a telecom company at the time and somebody somewhere came up with the idea that we should all keep timesheets. So even though our time wasn't billable, (laughs) even though we weren't allocated to any project, we all had to keep timesheets. You can imagine how popular that was. And so very early on, it became obvious that nobody was actually looking at the timesheets. They were just checking off whether or not Mm. you had actually put one in. And that it added up to 37 and a half hours. And so what happened in this particular group, their malicious compliance was somebody basically made a master timesheet. It was just in Excel and shared it with the entire group. And you just change your name and submit it every Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So anyway, that like like many other situations, they increase these resistance to change among some or or all segments of the employees. In this case, it was actually a very large division. And some of the the reasons that people engage in either malicious compliance or outright sabotage or just just being grumpy about it is that that we haven't actually involved employees in the change, which makes them feel like they have no agency and they just don't matter. And so change is being done to them, not with them, and Mm. not for them. Nothing creates resistance like sustaining lousy or even unsafe working conditions, right? Because that erodes trust and um, and it, it breaks your emotional connection to the organization. You know, thinking now of, you know, some of the things we're hearing about workplace uh, COVID transmissions, right? And, and and some of the stuff that employers really should have been doing and maybe weren't to help keep their employees safe. You know, we could have a history of silence so that employees don't even have an appreciation for Uh, what the problems and opportunities are facing the organization. So that goes back to Simon Sinek's thing. It's like, why? Why are you doing this? And if people don't know from the organization why you're doing something, then they're going to make it up. It likely won't be nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of cynicism, if we're not addressing that cynicism, if we're letting harmful rumors circulate or just you know, nasty lunchroom comments. If we let those go unanswered, you're gonna you're gonna just keep perpetuating resistance. You know, one of the other things that can really screw up change and create resistance and and friction is that we're not providing employees enough support around these initiatives. So often we're looking to them to maybe develop new skills or work in new ways. Hello, you know, large number of people who are now working in their bathrobes. And if we're not providing the support for this, whether it's skills or just learning how to work in a different way, then we're, we're creating all kinds of opportunity for resistance to sort of settle in and fester like a, a mildew in a shower stall.
0: <laughs> Lovely metaphor. Yeah, uh, true. Uh, organizations can do all those awful things Behaviors inadvertently or reinforce them. And if that wasn't enough of a danger list, other characteristics and work environments that can contribute to employees' natural resistance to change could include just a high level of job insecurity. And again, thinking post COVID, there's going to be that. And if you don't address it, guess what? Resistance. Or when organizations don't share the rationale and, and provide updates on proposed changes. Guess what? Resistance. When there is that perception of injustice or a lack of perceived justice, you know, showing favoritism within teams. Well, do you think people are going to be resistant to changes when that happens? Of course they are. And when organizations don't address high levels of ambiguity, that discomfort that's caused by ambiguity, again, People are going to resist. And these are natural responses for humans to take, or rather resistance is a natural response. Now, for those of you who have not yet attended any of our workshops on how to plan and roll out employee communications that speed up transformation, Elizabeth, let's talk about one of our favorite tools that we found a great way for fearless communicators to get a handle on likely organizational sources of resistance. Well,
1: and of course, you were talking about what I call the best chart ever. and mm. it's Yes. And it's a model um, by a guy named Timothy P. Noster, who presented it in 1991 at a very technical conference. He's a professor at the Bloomsburg University of Pennsylvania. And it, it's become known as Noster's model of managing complex change. We like to call it the best chart ever. And we will put a, a link to it in the show notes. And basically imagine a chart and it's it's got six elements. So Noster identified six elements. We've actually since added a, a seventh, but let's just stick with six. And so he's identified Identified that in order for change to be successful, you need to have vision, consensus, skills, incentives, resources and an action plan. And when you have all of these things, your change is very likely to be successful. But if we remove even one of those things, we end up with a problem. For example, if we take out vision, then we end up with confusion because no one actually knows why we're doing it or what we're supposed to be doing. Where we have no skills, we create anxiety among our workforce, right? If they feel like they're being asked to do something that they don't know how to do, they're gonna be anxious about it. If we don't have an action plan, and how many times have you gone charging off into some corporate change with it? Actually, a decent plan. It puts us on a treadmill, right? And and so I I found this model probably maybe ninety two or ninety three. I'm not even sure where. And I have since had it pinned to my wall. And in fact, it, I, I should find the picture of this because it's got so many little thumbtack holes in it from being moved from office to office. And I've got to say, it's it's the one that I go back to every time I'm working on a change. Uh, and one of the things I love about it is it's really boss friendly. And I mm. can slap this sucker in front of an executive who doesn't actually think that I know what I'm doing, and it's a fantastic diagnostic tool. So if if we're looking, we're saying, you know, you've got a lot of people who are feeling really anxious, and they're going, well, why are they feeling anxious? Hmm, maybe they're worried that they don't have the skills to manage this change, and so it's very boss friendly. And as I said, we will put a link in the show notes to uh,
0: to the model. Are always happy to talk about that framework. What I love about that framework is not only is it a diagnostic tool but it also helps to predict where there are gaps or where there could be gaps so even before a change process gets underway before resistance can start to take root use that tool in planning the change and your world of hurt can go down considerably so great tool Noster framework and of course In addition to all those great things organizations do, we can't really discuss the topic of employee resistance to change without recognizing and acknowledging that it isn't solely driven because of what an organization is or isn't doing well. It is also something that we must think about as being contributed by individual factors.
1: Yeah, and you know what? As soon as you get individuals brought into it, right, things get quite messy. It all makes mm. sense on paper until you get, you know, individuals with all of their biases and mm-hmm. their needs and stuff. And and you know, and most leaders and and our fearless communicators probably don't bring a ton of background in organizational psychology. And so you know that's why we have to call out some of the things that while they reside in individuals are shaped by the organization and by leaders and managers and even well-designed communications processes. And one of the things that, that we always like to talk about in our change communications course is that resistance isn't caused by a fear of change, right? As a species, if you think about it, we're successful because we're actually spectacularly good at change. Mm. What we fear isn't the change. What we fear is loss. And in an organization, that loss can can be all kinds of things. It can look like power or position, whether real or perceived. It can look like losing competence and either looking like you're not competent or maybe being punished because you're perceived as not competent. Mm. It can look like losing your identity, right? How many of our identities are kind of wrapped up in our work? And what happens if this change means you don't do that job anymore? And does that mess with your identity? And it can also come from a fear of losing membership in a group or losing social ties, right? Like the social aspects of work are hugely important. And we're learning that now with remote work and some of the impacts that's having, I can, I can give you a, a really quick story. I worked for a, a large company and I led a team and they were renovating the building we were in. So they were moving people constantly to, to get this renovation done. so the moving people came and they, they moved us and we moved up one floor. So exactly the same footprint, right? Like bathrooms are in the same place. Elevators are in the same place. And they literally moved us 16 feet further up the building, right? So that everything was the same. The sizes of the workstations, nobody moved. I didn't even think about it, right? I went, oh, of course, everyone's got a spot. It's in the same spot as on the 10th floor, except we're on the 11th floor. So let's just do it. Well, I had chaos on my hands. And at one point I had had somebody in my office in tears. She hated her new desk. And I'm like, okay, it's exactly, literally exactly the same as your old desk. It's just 16 feet up. And what is the problem? Well, the problem was that another group was beside us. She didn't know them. She didn't think she liked them because they talked kind of loud and they were a different group. So she felt like she had lost some social connections. I had no idea she was friends with this people in this adjacent group. Other people were feeling a little bit put out because our boss was actually now a little further away, so my boss's Mm. boss. And so they felt like they maybe didn't have the same level of exposure to this senior leader because he or she didn't have to walk by quite as often to see them. Their chances of a a quick encounter in the hallway were reduced because not everybody had moved exactly 16 feet up. And and I had chaos on my hands and and all kinds of resistance and and a massive loss in productivity for this very simple, simple move. And so now take that and imagine it's a digital transformation or a merger, Mm. or maybe you're coming back to a new hybrid workspace, right? The kind of loss that people are going to feel there. And you got a mess on your hands when it comes to resistance.
0: Yeah, that social ties thing is so important and so critical for uh, sparking resistance. You know, 25 plus years, I've never seen an organization that even twigs to that in their evaluation that they conduct of an organization change success before, during, or after rolling it out. So fearless communicators, make sure you evaluate the extent to which the change being planned or being implemented disrupts social relationships. The final thing about resistance that I think is worth mentioning is that we have to speak to the benefits and pains of accepting a change. And specifically, the benefit of adopting a new change or behavior must be greater than the pain involved in doing that behavior. So everyone gets that, right? That makes sense. But at the same time, the pain associated with sticking with the old behavior must be greater than the pain of adopting the new change. So those two realities have to coexist. You've got this great story that you shared with me a while ago about an organization changing the way that they use a, a printer. And I thought that that beautifully illustrated
1: this. So I was in a large organization and they decided um, at some point to save money. Most managers, most people had a printer on their desk and they decided that it was much more efficient if we had these sort of network printers that were all shared by different people. Well, you can imagine how well that went over Mm. because people like to be printing their hockey schedules and their knitting patterns and all kinds of things they probably shouldn't have been printing on the company's dime. Plus who wants to get up and walk 12 feet to get things printed when you can just click the button and it comes out on your desk. So what was happening is people were hiding them under the desks because as they were rolling out these network printers, they'd come through and take the desktop printers and then just leave you a note saying, Hey, your new printer is down the hall to your right. And so people were shoving them under desks. I had an office. So I had people bringing me their printers and saying, can you just put this under your desk? Cause they're coming tonight for the printers. You know, like it was like a, a pogrom for printers. And so of course, because the pain that everybody assumed was coming by having to you know walk 20 feet and if you accidentally left something on the printer that maybe wasn't for public consumption somebody was going to see it and it wasn't your printer right that that perceived loss of, of power or prestige and of course none of that was actually the case in fact it was considerably easier once they rolled them out because now we actually had better printers faster printers there was a way to make it so that people couldn't see your job until you were there to put in some special code and quite honestly the experience was much better than the crappy printers that that We were being forced to give up, but we hadn't had that presented to us. It had been presented to us as, you know, your printer's a wasteful piece of crap and we're taking it. (laughs) And that was it. So, you know, I can't imagine why we'd have six months of people hiding nasty old printers under the desk and, and going out and expensing
0: the toner cartridges. Great story. Well, and there's a perfect example of the pain associated with sticking with that old behavior was less than the pain of adopting the new change.
1: Yeah, and, and it goes back to that Nostra thing, right? We didn't have yeah. a vision, right? The vision, which was a good one for the company, was to save millions and millions of dollars in in printing and at the same time to improve the quality and the speed of the printing and actually to give everybody back a few extra feet on their desk. Uh, but no one had communicated that. And so, of course, the the resistance was was in the form of, of basically just confusion. I don't know why you're doing this, so you can't have my printer. You can have my printer when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. So, all right, let's, let's move on. Of the part of our, our podcast where we shamelessly promote things. And Fearless Communicators, we're recording this in early 2021 and we have a very big year coming up. So I hope you have rested up because this is our chance to start new things and new ways of communicating. And organizations, I think, are going to be looking to us to help them come up with ways to overcome resistance to some of the changes that they've got coming. So we are here to help you get those plans together, to get your organization on track, to help being part of the rebuilding and the recovery. And to do that, we are offering. Free 30 minute consults with me and Andrew. No strings, no selling, just a nice chance to pour a cup of coffee and talk through whatever's on your mind. And if you would like to chat, shoot me an email, Elizabeth W at Academy of Business And I look forward to uh, connecting with some uh, new folks over the next few weeks.
0: That's excellent. We're looking forward to 2021, and we've got a number of very ambitious clients right now that we're working with. I foresee great things happening, different things. And yes, there's going to be resistance, and that's okay. Speaking about resistance, uh, the topic of our discussion today, I have to thank you. This is an often neglected conversation. It's one of those topics that is under the radar and people are afraid to talk about it, ill-equipped to talk about it. And because of that, it really doesn't get addressed. And so that just cascades into a whole bunch of garbage, unfortunately. So thank you for this, Elizabeth. A couple of the points I'd like to just identify that I think are important. One, the NOSTER tool. That's a great resource. Two, Uh, resistance is not always the same as defiance, but acknowledge that it's human. Listen for the reason why or anticipate. Ask a lot of questions. Again, we're big on listening and having a good listening strategy. And if that is in place, you can actually identify potential sources of resistance even before they start to kick in. Elizabeth, is there anything that you'd like to emphasize or summarize?
1: I think just the importance of recognizing the fear of loss, right? So we don't Mm. fear change, we fear loss. And if you're not sure why you're getting resistance or you're not sure why you're getting a particular bit of resistance, think about what these people or these groups might be thinking that they are losing as a result of this change and go from there.
0: Well, as always, we like to review what's caught our attention over the last little while. Elizabeth, what are you reading, watching, or listening to that you think our listeners would find interesting?
1: Well, I just finished a book. It's a very, very small book, so you can read it in an afternoon, as I did. And it's called "You Are a Writer, So Start Acting Like One." And it's by Jeff Goins, who, if you don't know, he has a, a wonderful blog that he does on writing. And um, since most fearless communicators either started out as writers, like uh, journalists, like I, you know, where failed journalists go, um, or maybe you are harboring some ambition of cranking out a novel, a poem, an epic thing, or just a, a book. I can't recommend this enough. It's just down to earth. As I said, it's very brief. It's just practical tips for finding your voice, sticking with it. Employee communications thing doesn't work out. Uh, He's got some great tips for how you can be a freelancer. But if like us, you make your living with your words, then it's a a wonderful little primer to help you get refocused for the monumental number of words you are going to be cranking out this year. So uh, Jeff Goins, you are a writer, so start acting like one and we will put a link in the show notes.
0: Excellent. Thank you. For my part, I've just been constantly being drawn back to a McKinsey article on disillusionment. I don't have the title, but it will be included in the show notes. And it talks about the disillusionment that we experience because of transformative change. And the the disillusionment will kick our motivation. It'll kick our mental health and our energy. And unfortunately, in some organizations, senior leaders, well-intentioned, can make things worse when they are unaware of the disconnect between where they are emotionally and where their employees are. And so that prolongs the disillusionment and it can emphasize it. So Uh, Really interesting article, something that I think all fearless communicators will relate to and it will resonate with them. And there's some actionable steps for people to take. So I'll make sure that that's in our show notes, McKinsey article on disillusionment.
1: Yeah, you know, nothing kills trust, right? (laughs) Like, Mm. like a a disillusioned workforce. So I'm looking forward to reading that too. So we hope you had as much fun uh, as we did today talking about resistance. And if you liked this podcast, please leave a rating and better still subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. And of course, we welcome your thoughts, suggestions, uh, ideas for other topics. Just send us a message via trusty email to info at academy of business And we'll get back to you as
0: soon as we can terrific and a shout out to peter linsman our patient and intrepid editor and Simon gladstone who takes care of our websites and web presence elizabeth as always thank you and for all our listeners of the swear jar stay fearless bye for now